In this market, it's harder to grow. And when you do, there are more operational distractions slowing your momentum. By building and maintaining a global payments and billing system, or reconciling revenue data. Paddle and Profitwell are coming together to take the load off your finance and engineering teams. We make subscription billing, payments, tax, and growth products that do it for you. In turn, you focus on what really matters, your team, customers, and products. Find out more at paddle.com. So I think the first step is for founders to kind of truly admit to themselves where they stand in those buckets um, and how fast or how quickly they can, uh, if they're not on the great side, get to that point. Um, and I think that in any uh, investor conversation, you kind of want to uh, definitely be realistic in terms of your goals, but also honest in terms of what you've achieved. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Ophelia Brown, Managing Partner at Blossom Capital. Welcome, Ophelia. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast, which I think for the first time, and uh, we were just saying before we started recording, I think it's been 2016 was the, the the first and only time we met in person at the first ever SaaS doc. Uh, it's been a while, lots happened uh, since then. And um, uh, yeah, but uh, certainly great, uh, uh, as I said, to kind of follow uh, your career and, uh, you know, cre- the creation of of Blossom Capital, and uh, and the next time we we will uh, get to see uh, each other in person since 2016 will be in October uh, later this year as a uh, SaaS returns to, to Dublin. So uh, uh, excited for that, um, and uh, so obviously welcome to the podcast. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Ophelia. So maybe for listeners that don't know uh, who you are, um, who is Ophelia Brown? You know, uh, as a person, and a little bit of background to yourself. That could be a deep question, but I'll give yeah. the very short uh, intro version. Um, so I'm the founder of uh, Blossom Capital. Uh, we're an early stage venture fund uh, focusing on Europe. Uh, we're three partners. Um, and we start. We launched in uh, 2018. We've raised about a billion dollars since we started. Uh, we just announced our third fund at 500. Um, and our square focus is Series A. So uh, we're a bit unique versus other funds in that we only actually make five or six investments a year, um, and each of the three partners work alongside every company that we partner with. So we're really uh, trying to you know, maximize the success of those few teams that we think we can support the best rather than kind of play the probabilities. Um, we have about 17 companies in the portfolio now. They include some real breakouts like Checkout.com, which is recently valued at $40 billion, um, and MoonPay, which is a fiat crypto on-ramp. Uh, which was last valued around three and a half billion. Um, and so delighted uh, to be back with you um, and uh, be talking all things SaaS and early stage companies today. Uh, excellent. What, but what about, I mean, a bit of insight, why did you get into uh, the VC world? Like what was that, uh, that that appealed to you? And were you doing anything uh, before? Was there some sort of, you know, jump or pivot into it? Or did you know that you always wanted to be uh, in the world of VC and investing in startups? 
Um, I actually always thought I wanted to be a founder. Uh, so I didn't know too much about the VC industry until uh, I realized that I was never going to make it as an entrepreneur. Um, so I, uh, well, the first idea that I came up with was an idea for a peer-to-peer car sharing startup. And I was unfortunately beaten to market um, and couldn't quite find the second idea. And that's when I thought, well, if I'm on the investment side, I'll get a much better idea of the landscape and you know figure out uh, what to work on next. Um, I joined Index Ventures back in 2012. Um, and the idea at the time was, you know, I'd do kind of a couple of years there and then start my own thing. But I just fell in love with the investment side, um, realized that I was much better suited to enabling others who had ideas than trying to come up with the idea myself. Is there um, like, I don't know, not necessarily like a private club, but just a, a group of managing partners, those that have founded uh, investment uh, firms that consider themselves to be entrepreneurs? Because I guess you've started a business, right? Yeah, no, I think uh, that's where uh, got kind of rising up through index and then going on to local road, I realized the entrepreneurial streak was pretty strong um, and wanted to create something myself. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, is there a club? I wish there was. Um, I think there's um, certainly a new cohort. Uh, I'm no longer one of them, um, but as solo GPs, um, the, so individual VCs that have started funds, um, notably you know, Nico, Jason, and Harry Stebbing, mm-hmm. 20 VC. Um, and I think you know, they're, they're more of a group, but uh, yeah, it's becoming increasingly common, I'd say. And what was it, I know uh, you mentioned in terms of your path and then, you know, founding uh, Blossom, but why particularly Blossom and, and, and this sort of like direction? What was it that you wanted to achieve, you, you know, with this uh, uh, with this fund? Yeah, so I, I was fortunate to spend a lot of time on the West Coast um, in the early days of my venture career. Um, I worked with some phenomenal companies like Robin Hood. Um, so really got to understand you know, how founders build world-class product and engineering teams, how they think about hyperscaling growth and learn from the best investors over there. Um, and I, uh, but I never quite believed, you know, the value mantra that uh, only talent and ambition was confined to the West Coast and have always been very passionate about helping European founders build companies that can compete on the global scale. Um, and in my mind, helping founders do that really meant changing a lot of the investor mentality, the way that you provided capital support, expertise, network. Um, I alluded to kind of our fund model earlier, which is, you know, build funds around, you know, 15 companies and uh, be much more focused. Um, so that was really the ambition to kind of uh, help create the next generation of world leading companies from Europe. Um, so we launched, um, it was myself and Imran at the beginning um, in 2018, and then our um, partner Alex joined us from IVP where he spent almost seven years on the West Coast. Um, so it's just the three of us today um, who will equally share that ambition. And, and in terms of investment thesis, I mentioned you mentioned Europe, you mentioned Series A uh, only. Uh, w- what else is there, uh, anything, or, or in, in terms of can you, uh, articulate further that investment thesis if there's anything specific yeah i think um probably like all great uh investors we really are looking for those outlier businesses you know businesses that will fundamentally disrupt uh change or even create new industries um and go on to create you know uh billions of value ultimately um that definitely starts with the founding team um, their mission their purpose and their drive um so 
the overarching that's that's what we're looking for um i think in terms of how we approach it uh that's kind of more where the differentiation comes in uh while we look kind of generous in the outset each of the partners have their own very deep investment experience um, in certain themes and sectors. Uh, so I spend a lot of time thinking about financial services, fintech, crypto, um, my partner Alex on consumer and Enron, deep into technical um, infrastructure, cybersecurity, uh, open source, et cetera. Um, and that means that we can kind of cover a very broad remit in Europe um, while all having the expertise on scaling, go to market, team building, et cetera. And, and these are um, so strange times, but interesting times in terms of the the macroeconomic climate. Um, you, you know, it's a a very unusual one with war going on. You know, inflation. Uh, you know, tech stocks uh, have uh, you know taken somewhat of a, a, a battering recently. A lot of talk about you know sort of recession or or, or even you know in a recession. So, given the, the current sort of market climate. Uh, or, or downturn, as it were. What what is your uh, investment strategy uh, uh, sort of right now, or maybe you know for twenty twenty two? Certainly, for uh, be helpful for the you know founders that are listening that are thinking about raising. Obviously, maybe their the European Series A. Uh, but what is your investment strategy in this market? So it actually hasn't changed. Um, when we launched uh, in 2018, you know, we were almost 10 years into a bull run at that point. Um, and we talked about investing. We had six kind of investment criteria, two of those I already alluded to in terms of market size and team. Um, and the last one was investing in recession-proof businesses, um, which we slightly adapted to crisis-proof when COVID hit. But we th- always thought a lot about you know, how businesses perform when uh, you know, enterprise spenders cut or consumer spend patterns uh, change. And I think that, you know, early stage entrepreneurs um, in many cases are somewhat protected by what's going on in the public markets because, you know, their exit horizons are seven to 10 years out. And so the correction in the macro today doesn't affect them um, in the immediate term, and you don't know what kind of uh, environment you're going to be exiting into. And in some ways, almost creates opportunity. Like if you think in terms of the last financial crisis, um, how many great companies, Airbnb kind of case in point, were created because of economic dislocation. Um, and so, uh, you know, we carry on investing in this time actually with great uh, excitement in terms of the opportunities that might be uh, open to new founders today. Um, we've always believed in appropriately capitalizing companies. So whenever we funded, we fund for 24 months after our investment, knowing that you know no path is ever up and to the right. And you want founders to feel like they have the flexibility and freedom um, without the constraints, you know, real like very burning constraints of burn earlier on. Um, but we also always guide our founders to capital efficient growth because that's the only way that you can be in control of your own destiny. Um, and so in terms of what we look for and the advice we give, it hasn't really changed at all. Um, it's just do more of the same. Um, look, let, let's jump on, the, on that uh, a, a little bit. Um, so it's a, like recently we've you know seen... Um, and I don't think necessarily it kicks it off, but the Sequoia memo, and you know, they're very good at their kind of memos to their portfolio companies. Um, we're obviously seeing about uh, rhetoric about um, you know being capital efficient, maximizing your efficiency, doing more with less. Uh, you mentioned uh, that that's kind of pretty much always been um, you know the the advice that you give uh, for founders that are looking to raise in this market. 
Um, maybe you said like earlier, obviously, like early stage sort of companies, potentially, they're, they're not too affected by, you know, what's happening in the, the public markets. But if they're looking to raise, is it going to be any harder for them? Uh, and uh, that's, got, I guess, first sort of question. But what is your advice to them in general, kind of raising sort of like right now? Yeah, I think um, it definitely dep- depends what stage you're at. So I think early stage is probably easier. Um, as I mentioned, you know, investors are still hopeful that there's the next opportunity around the corner, whereas at later stage, you're getting closer to those public comps mattering um, and the macro environment really affecting your growth over the next couple of years. And I think uh, why it particularly matters at the moment is that there's just a lot of uncertainty. People are finding it very uh, hard to predict what kind of position that we're going to be in in six, 12 months from now. Um, So I think my first advice uh, to founders um, would be to take a good look at your fundamentals um, and to really understand, you know, I think there's a lot of great uh, data out there and, Obviously, if anyone wants to get in touch and ask for data, happy to share. But in terms of you know how your metrics look, whether you span on great, good, or okay, because I think there's going to be a kind of bifurcation of where capital goes. There's a real flight to quality in these times um, that people are looking for that that side of great. You know where you've got your burn multiple in place, you can show good payback, um, you can still exhibit good growth. So I think the first step is for founders to kind of truly admit to themselves where they stand in those buckets um, and how fast or how quickly they can, uh, if they're not on the great side, get to that point. Um, And I think that in any uh, investor conversation, you kind of want to uh, definitely be realistic in terms of your goals, but also honest in terms of what you've achieved. Um, And so I think if, you know, there are reasons why, you know, certain metrics or KPIs are lagging, you should address those kind of upfront in the conversation um, because I think that you know, this is the time when investors really go through the data, do their DD um, on how the company is going to date and forecast, etc. So I think that's like the first the first piece of advice that I would give. Uh, and kind of looping back to you, you said that uh, I think Blossom Capitals and your uh, advice to your current uh, portfolio or your, or your portfolio companies is always around capital efficiency. Sort of diving into that, um, you, you know, could you elaborate a little bit more on that uh, for the listeners and, and viewers and so what sort of things that they could be doing and any other advice aside from capital efficiency that you're giving to your companies kind of right now? Yeah, so on capital efficiency, I think, you know, uh, if you talk about SaaS businesses, it's like the payback on uh, sales and marketing spend. Um, and uh, it's looking at your burn multiple, it's looking at your uh, cost of service. So, you know, what, uh, how you think about uh, driving expand- revenue expansion in the business, what it takes to keep a customer running, et cetera. Um, and all of those great metrics are, you know, we've written kind of on what great looks like there. Um, the other ones are, you know, if you are burning too much and you can't extend your runway uh, through to 24 months from here at least, starting to have to make some really tough decisions. Um, you know, if you're if you have a significant portion in the team in non-revenue generating roles, um, how do you think about those and how do they contribute to your growth? Um, because that's a cost basis that an investor is definitely going to be analysing. Um, and then I think, you know, for those uh, that require some thinking out the box, um, this is the time to really kind of take a step back um, and kind of reassess where the business is going um, to really think, like, where is the opportunity in this market? What are we driving towards and have we positioned ourselves 
um, for this next turn. Um, so I think those are the main things that we're talking to our founders about. Do you think, um, I think this is kind of based on a conversation I was having earlier this week, and I've seen some SaaS companies, and maybe it is it is those uh, the public companies that have taken obviously uh, the, the battering, you know, in their stock prices, um, uh, uh, and maybe some of the the private ones in the early stage, you know, not so affected. But we've also seen Salesforce, I think, yesterday or or today, kind of you know report, you know, a great kind of quarter, uh, great kind of earnings. Um, I think their stock price has gone up, and they're I think commenting that actually. They're not seeing, you know, there's there's no effects in the current market on their business, and they're showing that. Um, we're seeing some on the e-commerce side, like you, you know, I think what we're seeing in like Klarna and you know some other uh, sort of businesses, and the um, like the the Amazon kind of roll up uh, sort of like companies uh, really being affected. Um, so, do you think it's fair to say, or, or is it fair to say that SaaS might be better placed in other industries, you, you know, kind of during like downturns and recessions than let's say e-commerce? I think there is, you know, if we go into a recession, there's obviously likely a slowdown in consumer spend and that will hit e-commerce. Um, if uh, It's hard to say, you know, uh, how much budgetary spend will affect Salesforce. Um, but certainly across our enterprise SaaS um, portfolio, we haven't seen any slowdown in terms of customer demand. So it's just not hitting there yet, um, despite kind of uh, the fears that we're about to see a big slowdown in spend there. Um, I think what you're talking about is a, pro, a you know two very different profiles of businesses in terms of profitability um, and path to profitability. And I think one of the things that unfortunately hit Klarna, and that's why they announced the layoffs, is that you know they were already burning a huge amount last year, um, and obviously that had kept up um, in this year, and that was forcing them out to a fundraise um, in a very different macro environment. Um, Whereas I'd say Salesforce, as you said, posted exceptional results, and um, you know there's definitely been, and you can see this in the public markets, you know, a bifurcation in performance between profitable tech and non-profitable tech, and I think um, that's probably a slightly more relevant to the two models at the moment uh, versus econ versus SaaS. Makes sense. Um, uh, no, good, uh, good thoughts on that there. And uh, we, as we mentioned in the beginning, uh, you're coming back to Dublin, which we're excited about for SaaS at 22. Uh, this uh, October, um, and you'll be on stage with uh, uh, Eleanor Crespo, who's the CEO and co-founder of Pigment. Um, can you share the story of how you invested in, in Pigment? Uh, Pigment, giving us a little bit of a uh, details of of, of how that uh, came to be. What's the, what's the story there? Absolutely. So. Um... Uh, Eleanor Roma, her, her co-founder, um, who was previously the CTO and co-founder of Criteo, and Eleanor was an alumnus of Index, which is where I was before. Index were one of Criteo's largest shareholders, so there was like long kind of uh, links between us. I had known the two founders for a while, um, and uh, it converged when we were actually looking um, at various opportunities for, for you know, the replacement of Excel. Um, it was uh, clearly a theme that a lot of founders were looking to explore and had, you know, it was just when Airtable was getting going. And so you had kind of the disruption on that side with, you know, uh, Excel being kind of a system of record data entry. And then there was the other side, which is much more about the modeling, the formulas, the calculations, etc. And uh, so we were looking for a company to invest to, uh, into in that space. We must have met with like 50 um, and it was just around the time when Eleanor and Roman were getting going. Um, 
we uh, thought they definitely were the furthest along in terms of being able to think about the product from first principles, really understanding the the end uh, users and customer in terms of how they would be using this tool, um, the dynamics of the fact that they needed continuous um, information flow into their uh, modeling. They were using other tools. Um, they didn't necessarily want to be bogged down by the Excel formulas, but something much more uh, easy to use and in the language that they would actually understand from a business day to day. Um, and so when they kind of walked us through the, the product roadmap and the direction that they wanted to take, it was just obvious that they uh, had exactly in mind what the user needed. Um, and given Roman's kind of technical capabilities and his experience and what he'd already built, it seemed like a no-brainer in terms of that he would be able to build the team and execute against his vision. So um, it was actually peak lockdown, May 2020. Um, we found ourselves in a bit of a competitive position to lead their Series A um, and managed to figure out a way to get from London to Paris uh, to go and convince them to sign our our term sheet back then. Um, but we've been you know, absolutely delighted to be uh, partnered with them. The, the growth has been pretty exceptional. Their customers include the likes of Gong, um, Carter, Brex in the US, um, Mano Mano over here. And uh, the, yeah, the team is on a great trajectory. They're about 100 people today. Um, and they just raised a $75 million Series B from Greenox. Amazing. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to yeah, your talk with uh, Eleanor and, or at Sastock in, in Dublin. Probably a little bit too early to say what you're going to be exactly you're going to be talking about, unless you've already uh, spoken about what you're going to talk about. Let's hope we're all talking about a great public market environment and uh, yeah. <laughs> how Fingers we're all unnecessarily worrying about a recession <laughs> three months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, do you know, so I, uh, an entrepreneur friend of mine who's in PR um she she was talking about this like perhaps like being a self-fulfilling prophecy that we're kind of talking ourselves into uh a, a recession like nobody know what knows what's going to happening and we're just kind of talking ourselves into it but uh yeah hopefully um you know as you say in october uh you know things will be uh much better and uh, certainly we'll be having a lot of fun uh either way in uh in dublin and uh, speaking of which uh obviously i i know one well i know some facts about you now a few more but i do know that you've been to dublin in 2016 have you been uh any other times like how many times have you been to dublin i've probably been uh quite a number of times so we led an investment into a company called tynes um back in 2019 um so tynes is a security automation uh, products built by uh, two founders who used to work together for 15 years, Deloitte, uh, PayPal, DocuSign, Owen and Tom, um, who then started Times uh, in late 2018. We led their Series A uh, that summer um, and you know, pre-lockdown would be back probably once a month uh, or something to spend time with them um, and have been back a number of times post-COVID. So yeah, no, know the city pretty well good so so you're you're a dublin i don't know it's a veteran or og or, or whatever you but <laughs> I, uh, so, I wouldn't claim enough there <laughs> what, what is your uh for those that are coming to sastock in dublin maybe haven't been before what's the what's the ophelia brown tip the, the one thing that they must do or what's your favorite thing to do when you're in dublin Definitely got to bring an umbrella because it's always raining when I land. <laughs> Not true. Well, never, never, uh, never at that time. It's always sunny. It's always sunny in October. We'll see. 
Any other tips? Is there anything specifically, uh, you know, a pint of Guinness at Grogan? I mean, obviously the pint of Guinness, but uh, that that one seemed too obvious. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I like uh, definitely uh, uh, Grogan's and like the Long Hall. There's certainly like uh, so many good pubs there uh, 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 as well. But it's going to be uh, uh, a lot of fun. We're doing actually an investor day on the Monday at the Aviva Stadium. So if any investors who are big rugby fans, uh, that'll be uh, uh, good fun uh, as well on the, on the Monday, the 17th. Um, so uh, lots of different things happening uh, that week. But uh, um, yeah, uh, as we say, looking very much looking forward to that. Uh, a couple of final questions, Ophelia. Um, for yourself, like personally, how do you stay healthy and sane? Uh, you know, as you, you kind of run the business and travel the world and invest in companies, <laughs> you don't. So unhealthy and insane uh, is uh, is, is how you live. Insane and slightly healthy. Uh, I love to run. Uh, that's probably great. Where one uh, sanity point, getting it all out on a good run. Good stuff. And where can people find you online? If they got any questions from the the podcast? They just want to reach out, or they're you know a killer series A uh, you know sort of company. Um, how do they get in touch? Ophelia@blossomcat.com um, is the easiest way. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ophelia, for being a guest on the SaaS Revolution Today uh, show today and, uh, you know, speaking to the SaaS community. Um, like we said many times, I think, uh, looking forward to seeing you in person uh, in, in Dublin this October. So thank you so much, Ophelia Brown, Managing Partner at Boston Capital. Thank you. See you soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SAS content and actionable insights to grow your SAS? Join our community of over 36,000 SAS founders at sasdoc.com.